Roster Podcast. Uh, we have a, actually a special guest with us today as well. Uh, I'm your host, Timuchin, and with us today is Katie Siragar. Katie, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. Going pretty good. Oh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we featured Katie's um, uh, article on Goal.com a few days ago and had some like good feedback with it. So we were, you wanted to get you on, uh, talk a bit about that. Um, this is like an issue we constantly talk about at AmericanScotch.com, and it's not something that comes up in our Facebook group at all as well. So, uh, But you have a lot going on aside from the article on Goal.com. So let's start with you. Let's get some background information. You're uh, in New York right now, but you spent your life uh, like all over the world, right? Uh, let's get a bit of background information for the listeners out there. Yeah, so I come from a kind of very international background. I'm American. I was born here in New York, um, but my parents were Indonesian. And so I'm a first generation Indonesian American immigrant. Um, I spent a few years, the first few years of my life growing up in New York. And then my mom moved back to Jakarta with me. And then I kind of spent um, all of my um, preteen adolescent years around the world. I lived in like Hong Kong, Belgium, back in Indonesia. Um, and I was around the time, I think around middle school, high school, I kind of fell in love with Liverpool. I was a massive Anglophile. I was obsessed with everything British culture, music, um, books, and of course, football. Um, I was kind of obsessed with the Beatles, and obviously the Beatles are from Liverpool, so that kind of just skyrocketed when I was in um, my early years of high school, um, so much so that I decided to go to school in the UK, um, mostly because I loved Britain, and so I could be closer to Anfield because I'd never gotten a chance to go, obviously, regularly growing up. And being geographically close to Liverpool, um, a city that I love so much, was really, you know, important to me. And I loved being able to get to, to, to go there as often as I could um, when I was living in London. But then I moved back to New York around a year and a half ago, and here I am. And you write, I mean, you contribute to like many different. Uh, productions right now uh, like Bali, goal and stuff like that and you write looks like on a variety of topics i mean do you have a favorite the sports your favorite because i see you write a lot about like music and things like that as well yeah i feel like music was my first love it was i mean like music is what made me fall in love with liverpool because i loved the beatles and obviously you know um by association i started supporting the team um and i love to write it's like my biggest passion and i guess i i i was always intent about writing on things that i loved um, be it sports or music or um, anything else, like anything culture related. And then I think over the years, I kind of um, got more confident, co- confident and comfortable talking about my identity and the kind of cross section of culture, politics um, and my social background, because it's not very conventional. I have a very like diverse background and I spent so much time all over the world. Um, and I feel like my story isn't very, you know, at least I don't hear about it very much. Um, it's not. I feel like I don't see myself very much. I, I didn't see myself very much growing up as a Liverpool fan um, who is like, you know, white, British, local. So I feel like um, being able to write about my experience and then also seeing other people kind of relate to it and just be like, I totally felt um, the way that you're writing about um, Liverpool going like, you know, being a fan from so many, it's like so many miles away. I, it felt really great that they could relate to that. Does that make it almost like more difficult or does it help in some ways? Like as you travel all over the place, I mean, you're still trying to follow the same club. Does that make it difficult in different countries as you go? And also, like, does it make it easier to maybe connect with people because you have something in common, ideally? 
Yeah, I think um, following Liverpool just changed my life so much because I think when I first started watching Liverpool, I was going through a tough time in, in high school. Um, I just moved to a new place and I had trouble fitting in initially. And so being able to follow the club every weekend um, was so like was like a rock for me, even though it was um, like I think when I was having a kind of a tough time in high school, that was Roy Hutchins' first disastrous season. And you'd think that like the terrible results and the horrible, you know, performances of like Taras and Carroll would make everything worse. But I think I feel like the fact that Liverpool were always a constant in my life and like every weekend there was a new game, um, something to look forward to. And even if every result was so heartbreaking, any like good piece of news made everything so much better. Like even if, you know, like Taras leaving, I think was my top heartbreak of my entire life. But like once he left, I was able to, you know, kind of love Suarez. And, and there was always like a new like there, there was always like something to come with the club. Like it like it never stopped, obviously, like football keeps going no matter what happens in life. But then um, there's always something to look forward to despite all like the heartbreak. And I feel like that really spurred me on. And I think one of the most important things about supporting Liverpool was the, the amazing friends and fans that I could connect with worldwide, um, just like going on Twitter or Tumblr or like Live Journal. Um, just on the internet and like um, forums, I was able to connect with so many amazing Liverpool fans um, who I didn't get to know in real life um, all over the world in like the States, Malaysia and Europe. And then we just like would keep in touch over the years and just bond over games and matches. And sometimes we'd arrange meetups whenever we like one of us would visit the other country. And one of the like those friendships have been really important to me. And a lot of them um, were women my age which was really important in me kind of learning and loving the football club, um, getting to like um, learn about a sport that's super male dominated, but with like having to like being able to share in that adoration with other female, with other female fans was really important to me. I'm actually glad you brought that up. I mean, does that make it more challenging? Uh, I mean, even when you're in these groups and, you know, like throughout social media and stuff, it is overall more probably, um, you know, like male dominance, like there are more like guys on these forums than like, you know, female. But does that make it more challenging for you to kind of fight that battle of being a fan from far away? I didn't really have a, a problem with it growing up because I, I was so obsessed with football um, just because I loved it so much. And so I was able to like, you know, learn everything about it and, and absorb everything. And so I was pretty confident in my knowledge always. Like I was never being like, oh my God, I don't know enough this, about this club. They're going to like quiz me and I don't know. Like I was never um, anxious in that way. I was pretty confident in my knowledge, but I feel like what um, what is tough is just being judged on something that you can't even control. Like I just, be it, you know, my own paranoia or something that's, you know, more solidified community and like society I just always felt anxious about I never felt anxious like being at home um watching the games um on my own but then I just when I'd go to Anfield for the first time or Liverpool I'd be kind of self like too self-aware about my accent or whether or not they judge me for not being um local and that's something that I can't help um which is hard and I know like I've, like the piece that went up a week ago got really good feedback but also there were those fans that were like um, this is nonsense. And like, how can you say this? But it's like, I don't know, it's my experience. I never said I was speaking for everyone. It's just like one voice out of many. Um, but I feel like it's also important to highlight the non-traditional fan output because like, I see so many stories about, you know, like local lads, like local fans, what, what it's like supporting, you know, your, lo your local team. But I feel like my experience is shared by so many people, but maybe 
um, it's not as like people aren't as comfortable talking about it because they feel insecure about or, or judged. Yeah, I mean, in the article, I mean, for the listeners who haven't read it, please go to, I mean, we, the link is on our Facebook page as well, and we'll probably put it on the website when we post this uh, podcast so you guys can have a read. It's definitely a good read, and, you know, the general gist of it is, you know, the fact, the challenges of being a fan as a foreigner from far away, kind of like most of our audience in the States, um, and, you know, how you felt kind of like awkward at times among like locals, but... You know, you basically focus on Mo Salah, but I'm assuming, you know, you also talk about money and stuff. So having this international players almost makes it easier to be able of to course. connect the team yeah. international. So let's talk about that because I know in the beginning you kind of talk about, and I think that's one area that really got my attention as well, uh, how you talk about, like you're saying, when you're watching it yourself, you don't even think of anything. You're just a Liverpool mm-hmm. fan. But, you know, in social media and stuff like that, there is that self-awareness of being an outsider or like a foreigner or, you know, like a fan from a distance kind of thing. Did you, I mean, now that you look back on that, do you consider that to be more like self-imposed? Like almost like, you know, like you kind of felt uncomfortable without people saying anything or is it specific things that you read or comments that people make that make you feel like that? I think it was self-imposed, but also I think it is, you know, like it is um, apparent that certain, you know, local football fans are very possessed about their club and like rightly so like they love their club they're from there and I feel like I don't know it's like oh it's my club I kind of feel a bit possessive but also I think it was self-imposed because I love my favorite player growing up and even I think my favorite player of all time is Steven Gerrard I adored him so much I worshipped him he was I think the player that made me fall in love with football um, and the sport and I think I, I just idolized him for so long since I was so young and I think I mean he's an amazing player um, but I loved him so much because he was our captain. He was like our talisman. And a lot of the reason why I loved him so much was because he was obviously, you know, a born and bred Scouser. He's like a boyhood Liverpool fan. He came up through academy and then he earned the armband at 23, you know, and then he um, rescued us from Istanbul. And he's just like, I don't know, to me, and like to, I think to like a lot of people, he's just the epitome of the most, the, like the perfect footballer. Like he's just born and bred, um, boyhood fan he came up through the ranks and he just like um doesn't say much he like does uh his cap like he show like he happens by example um he's not you know political he doesn't get into like you know any kind of um scandal he's just always like really great and his leadership is amazing and part of why i loved stevie was so much was because of his loyalty and i had been hurt by so many people like torres suarez Xabi alonso uh, mascherano and i just felt like stevie and jamie Carragher as well i felt that because of their ties to Anfield being local lads, they had a kind of different connection that was more emotional and spiritual than, say, other foreign players. And so I had this, like, love and adoration for Stephen Gerrard because of his local element. But then that also was what made me feel like, am I not as much of a Liverpool fan because I'm not like Stevie? Like, I'm not um, white British. I don't come from Liverpool. I'm not, you know, accented. I'm not even from the UK. And so the reasons why I loved Steven Gerrard so much was what made me feel kind of insecure about my um, identity as a fan. But then obviously even the, like the teams back then weren't very diverse, even like we had a lot of Spanish players, but they weren't, you know, they weren't um, super diverse. Like, um, you know, Mo Salah comes along and then Mane and Mo Salah is just like, this, it's like this crazy breath, like breath of fresh air. Um, and it was just amazing to see how adored he was by Liverpool fans. And like, obviously it's easy to love someone 
who's amazing for your club, but I just think someone who's so overtly Muslim and so the opposite of Stephen Jarred, he's like, he's brown, he's an immigrant, he's Arab, and he doesn't shy away, he doesn't, he doesn't shy away from his own identity, which was really important to me. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that we have, and I think it's almost, I think the way Klopp goes about things too, is almost encouraged for these guys to, for sure. you know, be themselves, you know, yeah. I mean, he is, I mean, he always talks about, you know, how religious he is, what, a, you know, uh, like, a, you know, he's a Christian and stuff like that. And he feels very strongly about that. But I like how he can kind of at the same time encourage, you know, just as, you know, Christian as he is, you know, uh, Mo is just as Muslim and Mane and stuff like that. And he kind of like kind of respects and encourages almost that variety because I think that's almost like kind of works with this team, too, that's. Uh, I mean, you sometimes have like teams and clubs where you kind of see, um, you know, it's global, but there's like one country that there's like six players from. And For sure. those guys like have their own clique, if you will. Uh, I mean, we have, it almost seems a lot more scattered than ever before. And I think kind of like helps that global look. And I'm assuming like, you know, for fans like you and me who are international, who are kind of like, you know, fans from far away. I mean, to me, at least, it makes it even more appealing because, yeah, it is kind of like caters to the entire world. For sure. I even think like Klopp's appointment was a stepping stone in how I, you know, I got to kind of embrace my own um, international identity. Because I remember like when after Rafa was, you know, sacked, there was all this like, you know, focus on hiring the next great British manager, not just in Liverpool, but just across, you know, all of British football. There was always this, you know, pressure to like, you know, focus to find the next great British manager. And so, you know, Brendan Rodgers came because I don't know, I feel like one of his biggest selling points that he's British and they kind of want to like hone in on, on like local talent. But of course, like, you know, Klopp came in and he's so, you know, he's like, a, like a, he, he, he's like, he almost, he almost had the same effect as uh, of, of Mo as me, but, you know, to a similar degree, he's just like this fresh foreign breath of fresh air. And he's like unashamedly German. Um, and he was just like, I, I love him so much. And so let's go back to like, you know, how you were talking about, like, you know, basically the social media is like the main parts when you were interacting that you felt like, you know, um, you know, almost like the feeling of being an outsider and kind of like differentiating between a local fan and an outsider fan. Um, so if you look at it back, I mean, do, do you sense that it's only like a group of fans? Because I feel like overall, and like you're saying, you know, we make so many friendships from these groups where our only common thing is probably is Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, might be, you know, totally politically different, you know, religion, everything. But we have that in common and you somehow, you know, form a close relationship with these people that that's the only thing you have in common with. Is it, do you feel like it's only like a specific small group of fans that can sometimes make others feel like an outsider oh definitely like I, I definitely don't think that most liberal fans feel so possessive of their club and that they don't want anyone else to be like invited but i mean like you do have your certain pockets of twitter where they just i don't know like they pride themselves of being so local and i like you'll see videos about people kind of criticizing how um like how how their fan allocation for anfield has been decreased because of like greater demand and like you know traveling fans and tourists as if it's a bad thing, you know, like it's a global club. You're going to have foreign fans like you can't like this club isn't your local little secret. I feel like it never has been. Um, but luckily, like I haven't had too much, you know, um, I I also like tend to just not follow or engage with people who are kind of like that. I um, 
only willingly engage in people who are, you know, more diverse, international, and, and accepting. I do know some, like, you know, awesome Liverpool fans who are so excited that their club is so global. Um, but I do think, like, they're, like they're, there's always going to be a pocket of fans who are kind of, you know, more just, like, self-involved and so, you know, possessive that they don't want anyone else to kind of enjoy the fun. I almost feel like it's partially because of the built-in uh against you know like the bandwagon fans because i For think sure. that kind of has increased over time as a team has become more successful you know when we were going through the misery years nobody was like why are you here exactly <laughs> you and, like, and like, yeah and and it's funny because those were the years i kind of like solidified my love for the club um i i i mean like after the um piece was out i got a lot of you know messages from people who are like i bet you only supported you know this team recently and I'm, it's like no i i i only I, I i can only feel this way because i've loved this club for so long and i think like i said i can kind of understand that partially i mean we were talking before the pod like i'm you know i've been in chicago now for you know like 25 years or whatever and i mean i know from like this city like with the cubs i mean i hate baseball with the passion and it's like one sport i just cannot warm up to it. i think it's so boring but anyway so you know like when i was working you know when the cubs at that time they hadn't won for like 90 whatever years it was and when they had a couple of good years they had these two pitchers prior and wood and stuff and i l- listened to sports radio so i knew these guys even though i didn't follow the sport it's suddenly people who were not even sports fans and i had worked with them for like four or five years were Cubs fans. They were wearing Cubs gear and stuff like that. And I could see guys who were Cubs fans throughout this time, like suffering and still wearing the stuff and all that, were kind of annoyed because you're kind of like jumping late to the party. And so I can kind of understand the like the negative attitude that can come to those fans because, yeah, where have you been all this time when we were suffering? But it's like a really fine line to kind of differentiate because you don't want to throw – Anybody who's wearing a Cubs thing or who's wearing a Liverpool thing as, I bet you, you did weren't around like three years ago. Right. But but if you like, like, I I don't know, I probably felt that frustration too. Like, oh, you only just supported their, like, like this team, like, where were you for like, you know, the, the awful years. But I feel like, like, what can you do if someone like, like, like the worst thing is like having more fans for your club and like, how is that, you know, it's like, is that truly horrible just, you know, to have more people love the club that you love and like being able to share about like share your love with more people. I feel like if that's like the worst outcome, then I feel like it's not, it's not that bad. I mean, one thing like, you know, I haven't been with American Scouts or, you know, having started this thing, it's been almost like two years now. Um, I sense is most fans and most locals are, do understand and do appreciate the fact that, you know, people from outside have a passion for this club. That's their local team. Yeah. And, you know, we just had like a podcast, you know, like last week with like Graham Lee, you know, talking about the city and stuff. And you can kind of like tell the, you know, pride. You can almost hear the pride in his voice. And, you know, he's keen to teach it to others because the team has a specific culture that probably most fans don't even know. I know we got a lot of feedback from that pod. Um, so I think in most ways, like a lot of fans like to kind of like share that. But I feel like the success has is the only reason that kind of has crept up that defensive mechanism of keep you know keeping some fans out and not letting them in the fun. For sure. I feel like I'd feel that too if I was, you know, um local to Liverpool and just suddenly like, you know, after all this like after, you know, winning the Champions League, you get an influx of fans. And I get it's like, you know, it's like you're like you like it's your club. Um but yeah, I, I feel like that would like I'd feel that too. 
Uh, do you think, I mean, it, that will improve over time with continued success? Because it's almost like, like I say, the sense I get is, you know, some of these guys have been waiting for 30 years. So compared to a newer, you know, American fan who just started following soccer or a fan who just started since Istanbul, whatever, uh, obviously it means a lot more from, do you think that kind of, I don't want to say resembling because it sounds too strong, but that overall feeling like the defensive mechanism, will that kind of go down once they have, you know, this title and the success keeps continuing? Or do you think that's pretty much built in? It's going to be there. I feel like it's always going to be there. And I feel like even if fans feel um, resentment towards newer fans, it's like, would you rather Liverpool not win any more titles? And then you can, you know, keep, um, you know, the secret to yourself. It's just, it's like, um, I think I think focusing on like the continued success and just like you know the prospect of winning so much more is like is that like is 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 a fact that there may be some bandwagoners the worst part it's like would you rather us not win anything and then just keep the fan base you know less bandwagony or just like win so much more and then be able to like share it with other people I feel like you know the 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 downside isn't that bad if you get to you know get like have more glory and more you know happiness in the future. Yeah, I mean, you will always have bandwagon fans, but at the same time, I mean, this is how you kind of improve and increase your fan base. Everybody was a new fan at one, at one point, for sure. Especially if you're in the U.S. I mean, you were like an international when you first became a fan. I mean, you were a new fan then. You just happened to be a fan when they were not good. You probably would have a lot more fight back initially if, you know, the team was doing well at the time. And yeah, it's kind of like a constant battle that we face in terms of you want to grow your fan base it has to be global because the days of, you know, throwing out 11 talented young lads and being able to compete is pretty much over. Totally. For sure. And I think that, so in turn, do you see, is that because of the commercialism, like the whole sport as the whole sport, especially the premier league with the money involved has to have, you know, has to become global because you need that income to be able to, you know, pay your players and stuff like that. Of course. I mean, I feel like the globalization and commercial, the commercialization of a club is just inevitable. Like inevitable. I, I, I hope we're not going to be as, you know, extreme as Manchester United are with their kind of commercial ventures. But I feel like it's, it's impossible to not kind of, you know, um, dip into that global fan base. And we do tours and like, you know, we rely on so much international, you know, presence to have our club become like, stay afloat. Um, and it's just inevitable for the for a club this size to you know not stay um, so local anymore. So this is probably different for everybody. So let me ask you. I mean, where is your line in terms of uh, too global or too commercialized? Because you brought up you know like not as much as United. Like, what are some things that you would be like? Screw the money. I don't want them to go that far. <laughs> like, where do you draw the line? I don't know. Well, I mean, Manchester United have a lot of problems um, within the board. It's like a top-down, you know, lots of things that they need to work through. Um, and they, I feel like they kind of prioritize a lot of things, such as their commercial ventures, over the sake, like over the healthiness of their club. And I hope we don't ever get to that point. I feel like we're in a good time where we kind of, you know, invest the right amount of money and effort into the team. Instead of, I feel like, I feel like as for now, I don't feel like we kind of prioritize commercial ventures over the, like the, like, like the, the state of our team, which I am very happy about. Um, but I, I'm like, I mean, I don't know. 
it's always like you know like obviously united were the like had been the most successful club over the past decade in the uk and so rightfully they take you know um advantage of their kind of global um reach but i i'm i'm hoping that since liverpool kind of prides itself on being so socialist um as a city and a club we won't you know kind of go that far but i feel like even if you don't go that far it's gonna people like we're gonna have to dip in that territory eventually just if we're going to be successful yeah i think it depends a lot of the ownership group as well i mean i think with united they got the success on the field which eventually made them a lot more commercial a lot more successful commercially with money and then they realized a couple of seasons wait we can still make money don't have to be good and yeah. I think finally the last couple of seasons that's kind of taken a turn where the lack of success on the field is affecting them commercially and that's probably waking them up. I mean, that's probably like my biggest fear too, two or three years down the road that we don't go that route and say, you know, if SG does not say, hey, we're making money either way, it looks like. Uh, so, you know, whatever we throw out there at this point, we're good. But, um, so let me ask you about some like some of the other stuff. I mean, you write a lot about different. How often do you write about soccer? Um, well, um, I work at Goal full time, uh, full time. So I I work in soccer full time. Um, but I was really pleased that I was able to pitch such a personal and very um, editorialized piece um, to a website that I feel like um, wouldn't prioritize, you know, identity or cultural like cult- like culture politics. But I was super glad um, and I felt very, um, I don't know, I felt very supported when I pitched it. And then a lot of editors were really on board, um, especially just because, you know, like the demographic of football is just so opposite of me. And I talk about it in the piece. Um, and I don't know, it was like really refreshing. And I feel like a lot of people obviously feel the same way I do, but maybe they just don't feel confident um, or just they feel scared about speaking about it in public. Um, but I talk, I, I write about football every day, um, not usually from such a, you know, political um, standpoint. Um, usually it's just, you know, articles and like SEO pieces. Um, but so I was really grateful to have this opportunity to write this piece. That was so personal to me. And going back to the piece, I know you talk, I mean, you basically, the title obviously focuses more on Mo. Um, is it the religion? Is it the, you know, like the fact that he's from the Middle East, like a totally different land, if you will, that kind of, opened the floodgates for you and like made you feel a lot more comfortable or is it just a combination of like various factors that makes him different it is it is part of the, the religious factor because i i mean I'm, I'm indonesian and so my family is muslim indonesia is a predominantly muslim country and so like i know growing up just being having spent so much time in the states there's like always you know islamophobia is still rife and for the longest time, I felt so insecure. And you like even I, I like I hate to say it, like shamed about my religion, you know, just because like um, just the, the stigma around, like against Muslims and like you know Islam as religion, especially around 9/11, is it was so awful. And even now, like Islamia, Islamophobia obviously is still present. And so just also there's like there's never been an Asian footballer like a Southeast Asian footballer that's been so famous in the Prem. Um, in the Premier League, I know Sun, you know, from South Korea, he's been amazing for like East Asian fans, but there's nothing, there's been nobody from Southeast Asia where I'm from. And I feel like Mo is the closest I have to being represented um, in the Premier League. And so just the fact that he's so unashamedly Muslim, like he prays on the pitch, Mane also, um, but I feel like Mane, he's like Zidane when he's also Muslim, but I feel like 
he's not as outwardly Muslim as Mo is because Mo is just his his name is Muhammad Salah and he's I think he like part like he he's like the embodiment of what someone would picture um, an Arab man to be but the fact that he can have this effect on football which is I think the most you know white British um, the demographic is just so insanely white British and like the fact that he can come and just be the opposite of what the perfect footballer is I feel that most British people um, have in their minds are like Steven Gerrard and he's like the complete opposite it was just like so refreshing and so validating just the fact that oh somebody who's completely different from what I thought was the idea like the ideal of footballer growing up is able to have such an impact was really important to me that's interesting because I mean I'm originally from Turkey obviously it's the predominantly mm-hmm. Muslim country but I mean I'm personally not very religious and you right. know I you know I look at these you know players you know uh, you see, like, Allison and stuff like that, you know, very, and, you know, like, the Brazilians are very religious in their yes. way, and you see Mo and stuff. I mean, it has never affected me, because it's like, you do you. Uh, I'm like, I kind of, like, you know, don't look at it like that at all. But, yeah, I, I never thought of it in the sense that, I mean, did you ever, like, specifically feel that? Like, when you talk about, uh, you know, not being local and kind of, like, giving you that feeling that you're from an outsider, did you, did you ever feel that was mainly the religion, or was it more the location slash you know origin of country no it was always more location of country because i i like even growing up my mother brought me up to be more progressive and kind of not as stuck to the kind of traditional muslim values that she was brought up on just because like she's more western and we kind of embrace both western and southeast asian culture together um without you know being so overly traditional like her parents were my grandparents so um, I was never like we 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 were brought up in a more like you know progressive um, ideology like like we still you know we still we still practice the faith but not as traditionally as Indonesian as most Indonesians would but for me it was more geographical um, especially just because like I couldn't help like I can't help being where I'm from and so obviously that made me feel ostracized. And has that changed over the years when you look back? I mean I know like the article is basically talking more about like your initial. Uh, experiences do you feel that has changed over the years or you think there are a lot of there's a teenage girl out there starting to root for Liverpool that feels the same way like you did you know way back then no for sure it's definitely changed like over the years I feel like just even growing up um, I had moved back to Indonesia and then Indonesia is still very um, they still like the segregation between race like the white people and locals is still really really strong and prevalent and so I spent a year in high school there and I just and I felt so alien because I felt like um I felt so less because of my skin color even though I was native of Indonesian and I felt like all my you know the, like the locals just kind of um just like worships like my my white friends based on their skin color and so even like you know my my early years I felt I felt less just because I wasn't white and it took me a long time to kind of get comfortable in my own skin and kind of embrace the fact that I wasn't white and that I was, you know, Southeast Asian um, and diverse and not, you know, like a lot of people. I feel like my situation, my situation is very unique. So it took me a lot of time and like a lot of years to eventually just like embrace the fact that I wasn't, you know, so common and that I had a unique background and that I felt like I was interesting. Um, but for a long time growing up, I, I kind of resented the fact that I wasn't like a Sarah or a Jane or like an Allison. Um, because I felt so other and I felt like, I mean, growing up, I just see what's like um, all the magazines I'd read, the books, the TV shows, movies, it's always like, you know, white girls. And I was like always thinking to myself, why am I not like them? I'm I'm not, you know, white. I'm Asian. 
Um, but it took me a long time, coupled with, you know, a lot of years supporting Liverpool, thinking that Stevie was the ideal um, player. But then I had to work on myself and just kind of like learn to accept that I was, you know, great in my own way and that I don't have to be a certain, um, you know, kind of person to to feel like I had a place in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I think I love about Liverpool. I mean, overall and like just doing this, this is what I kind of like really enjoy about it. The whole American Scouser thing and like the Liverpool groups on Facebook, uh, you know, connected. I mean, it's always it kind of started with, you know, trying to connect uh, fans in the U.S. But now, you know, kind of met people throughout the world. And like I say, you kind of have this bond, which kind of makes it really cool. I mean, we kind of. Uh, laugh together, cry together, and stuff like that, even though, like I say, like, you may not have anything in common, like, religion, politics, whatever, so I think that's what, kind of, like, what makes sports cool to me, at least, and, like, kind of, like, making, putting the work into this, uh, kind of makes it worthwhile, so you write a lot in, like, in different areas and on different sites, so what's the easiest way for, you know, listeners to follow you and, like, read more of your work? Uh, well, I, I work full-time uh, at Goal as a staff writer, so most of my work is on soccer, but I also do a lot of freelance um, writing for various music and culture publications. Um, my Twitter is Lalana Del Rey. That is a pun on Adam Lalana and Lana Del Rey. I'm very proud of it. Um, and I, and I, yes, I, I actually had to, um, I think I got that handle the, the summer that we signed Lalana from Southampton during the 2014 World Cup. And I had, and like, I knew, I, I knew a Southampton fan who had that handle. And I think I just like, you know, refreshed her Twitter every single day because she was a, a Southampton fan waiting for her to release the handle. And one day she did, and I just pounced on it. And I feel like that's my greatest, you know, my greatest achievement aside from this article, um, which I'm very proud of. But I post, um, a lot of my writing on my Twitter. Um, I do a lot of album reviews. I do a lot of interviews with bands. Um, that's um, my culture writing. But I also love, um, yeah, writing about football is, I love football. And getting to write about it is uh, a privilege. Awesome. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, thank you so much that, for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure. And hopefully, you know, we'll see you more at AmericanScouser.com too. And uh, we'll post uh, all the links uh, to the article as well as like Katie's background so that you guys can kind of like access other work she does too. I mean, a lot of like great articles I was reading as I was preparing for this. So thanks a lot again, Katie. And thanks Please. to all for listening. You guys have all a great day. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.